Um, so let me begin with a word of prayer. Almighty God, Lord, we give you thanks that you have not left us alone, um, but you've provided us guidance. And we pray that this class, even though it's a, a humble class, I pray that it would bring you glory. I pray that it would be nourishing and beneficial to your people. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So um, the way we're going to do the class is uh, I'm going to give remarks, and uh, I'm going to sort of give like a, a devotional theological perspective on parenting. And then Becky, I'm going to hand it over to her. She's going to talk a lot about the practical implications, and then there's going to be a lot of Q&A. Uh, I'm excited that Becky is here because uh, I look to her wisdom. <laughs> my talk my talk is purely theoretical, <laughs> of which I know no nothing, curious. nothing in practice. <laughs> and Becky will have the practical wisdom portion. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Your children are still alive, so that's, that's the standard, right? By God's good grace. By God's grace. <laughs> All right, so here's, uh, here's my talk. Um, so I think when it comes to parenting, um, it's not an indifferent matter, uh, but the Bible actually has quite a lot to say about it. Um, and I think also there's a deep hunger for guidance, um, particularly for modern parents, because we're disconnected from the wisdom of the past. Right? It used to be that we used to live in villages right, or extended family units, and so we would have the wisdom of our grandfathers, grandparents, and uh, aunts and uncles. I remember when Christine and I brought home Judah from the hospital, we were like, oh, shoot, what do we do? <laughs> um, we're in trouble. Um, but the Bible has not left us alone. So let me read to you Ephesians chapter 6. Profound insights here. Let me just start in verse 1 because he's addressing parents and uh, children. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first command with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. <coughs> Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So let me first address the first part, which is the children, very, very briefly. It says that children are to give honor to their parents. So what does that mean? Um, it does not mean necessarily that we are to obey our parents. Um, it does say in verse 1, children obey your parents. But uh, you have to realize he's talking to underage children. The Greek word there for children is techna. So these are young children. But it doesn't. if you, if you look at the actual commandment, in Exodus and in Deuteronomy, um, it says honor, right? And the reason for that, I think it's very profound and very insightful because your relationship with your parents change, and so you're not obligated to obey them, um, especially as you become an adult. So what does it mean to honor? It doesn't mean necessarily mean have lovey-dovey feelings for your parents. Um, it doesn't mean that you have to admire them or that you have to trust them or believe them, because some parents are wicked and foolish. Um, but what does it mean to honor? It means to regard your parents. It means to give them respect. It means to treat them with dignity. And, you know, there's all kinds of culturally cultural ways that you can do this. You can call them, involve them in your life. You could visit them. You could express gratitude. Um, because parents, in many cases, see themselves in their children. And so you could say, you know, mom, dad, you know, thank you for this aspect or this element in my life. You can, I think this is big, you can forgive them for their flaws and for the mistakes they've made in your life. And that's it. That's Those are my remarks about children. Any quick questions about what does it mean to honor your parents? Because we're supposed to honor our parents all through our lives, right, until our parents are deceased. All right, so 
Second part, parenting. All right, so if you notice in verse 4, it says fathers, right? Why not mothers? Very quick remark. Uh, the ancient world was parochial, meaning uh, fathers were in charge. And so Paul addresses the fathers, but in, fa- in fact, he's addressing both moms and dads. You can talk with me more later if, if you find it unsatisfying. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so there are two parts to his instructions, and I've you know thought about this, meditated on this for a long time now. I think Paul here in the Bible here is extremely wise, really profound. So there's a negative part to the instruction, which is do not provoke your children to anger. And then there's a positive part, which is you're supposed to provide discipline and instruction. So let me go through them one at a time. Number one, do not provoke to anger. So that does not mean that you're never supposed to make your children angry, <laughs> Or you're never to displease your children because that would be wrong. That, that First of all, it's impossible. Um, it would be irresponsible to pander to your children and make sure they, they're never unhappy. Um, I like the NIV translation, which is do not exasperate. Exasperate means to frustrate your child such that a deep resentment and a bitterness develops in their heart. Um, I think this is really profound and radical in the ancient world because you have to understand the culture of the ancient world. Um, parents and particularly fathers had complete, absolute control over their children. Um, they could do whatever they wanted to their children. Uh, in fact, um, they had the right to execute, to kill their children. There was no such thing as child abuse. That concept of child abuse would have been laughed at. It, it was just absurd because a father could do whatever he wanted to, their, to his children. But notice that the Bible says uh, that fathers are not to do something, right? Which means essentially that the Bible is limiting the parent's power, right? It's saying what a parent must not do. So I have something caught in my throat. Uh, Does anyone have water? I have a Uh, No, I just need water. Um, We'll we'll see if it goes away. All right, so uh, what does it mean to provoke to anger? Um, There are many ways that you can provoke to anger. You can... um, you can con- consistently show uh, bias. So if you're consistently showing favoritism to one child over the other, um, I think about the story of Jacob, right? He would favor uh, Joseph ob- above his brothers, and that would provoke his children to anger. You can consistently be absent in your children's life, and then they begin to be angry about that. But I want to focus on one aspect, which is you provoke your children to anger when you try to impose your control over your child so that each child is what I mean by that is each child is a unique human being with a personality, temperament, interest that is unique to them. But rather than recognizing and seeing the, in, the unique individuality of the child, as a parent, if you try to impose your will and if you try to constrain your child into a certain mold. So what do I mean by that? Um, I'm really thinking here about the experience that I have as a child of immigrants. Um, and I think you know a lot of immigrant parents... And I think this is not restricted to being immigrants, by the way. Um, This is across the board, across all cultures. But a lot of parents have like a certain vision of the way they want their child to be, right? They want their child to have a certain kind of career, right? If you're immigrant, uh, children of immigrant, that means professional, well-paying job. They want their child to have a certain kind of marriage, right? They don't want you to marry down, so to speak, but marry at least sideways or up. Um, They want you to have a certain life path. And rather than discerning the gifts and calling of the child, you know, what's suitable to them, what will help them to flourish, the parent dictates the kind of life that the child is supposed to have, right? And that will create a deep anger 
um, because you're stifling who they are. And so I think this is really profound because what Paul is saying here is that um, parents are supposed to be attentive to their children in the sense that they're supposed to study and really listen to who their child is, right? Um, so that parenting is a two-way conversation. Um, it's not just the parent uh, providing guidance and instruction, but also the parent is listening to who their child is, right? So I think that's really profound. And in that sense, I think what Paul is saying here is a rebuke to traditional culture. Um, what is traditional culture parenting? The parent asserts control, imposes their will on the child. The child largely exists for the comfort and the well-being of the parent. Um, the child is to conform and accommodate who the parent is. But the Bible says, no, the parent has to be sensitive to their child and that the parent has a deep obligation to the child. So it's a rebuke to traditional culture, but it's also, I think, a rebuke to modern culture, right? So I think modern parenting, and so uh, the, what I see a lot, the pattern is that um, children will parent their own children in a completely opposite way from the way their parents taught them, right? So I feel like modern parenting is a reaction to traditional parenting. What is modern parenting? And so this is something that, you know, Kristen and I struggle with a lot because we're very much creatures of, of the modern age. Uh, modern parenting is you provide lots of love and affirmation, but it's the absence of guidance or authority, right? You provide largely emotional support, but you don't impose your values or beliefs. You sort of let the child figure it out on their own. And the Bible to modern parents says, no, parenting is essentially a moral and spiritual teacher. So let me just very quickly sketch it out because I think this is pretty significant. Uh, the Bible's view on parenting is really straddling two, two different sort of uh, cultures or two different biases. There's the traditional model. And the traditional model of parenting is the parent is the boss. And what the Bible is saying is basically it's too hard. And then the Bible is also opposed to modern parenting, or it's a corrective to modern parenting, and what is modern? Uh, what is um, the modern paradigm of, of a parent? The parent is a friend, right? And this is too soft. And so the Bible says to traditional parents, do not provoke. And then the Bible also rebukes modern parents by saying you have to provide instruction and guidance. Right, um, parenting is is you're you're a moral spiritual teacher. So this shifts up. Uh, this gets to the positive instructions. Paul says, "Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord." So what is discipline? Very quickly, it means you have to hold the child accountable. It means enforcing boundaries. It means providing correction, giving them warning. Listen to Proverbs thirteen verse twenty four: Whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. So if you love your child, you will discipline your child. That doesn't necessarily mean physical spanking. Um, it can. But there has to be some kind of punishment. There has to be consequence to bad behavior. Because the, what the, Bi the Bible's paradigm of parenting is that your child has these deep, sinful, and selfish impulses. And if you, don't, if you indulge your child, if you just let them go along that path, unchecked, 
that will destroy your child, right? All of us have like the fatal flaw that will kill us, that will destroy us. It's the parent's responsibility to identify the fatal flaw and then constantly provide discipline and instruction. Um, one thing Christine and I do is we tell Judah and Noah, when Judah and Noah play with each other, it's kind of a tense situation. They're having fun, but at any moment it could absolutely break down into World War Three. And we've, t- we've told our children no retaliation, no striking back. If somebody hits you, if somebody breaks your Lego creation, if somebody you know says something mean to you, you're not allowed to do it back to them. It feels good to do it back to them. It feels good to punch. But unless they learn to control their temper, unless they learn to reconcile and forgive, that, that inability is going to destroy their life. So we constantly are, tr- are giving them discipline. Um, the other thing is we have to instruct. What does instruction mean? It means to provide your children counsel, guidance, direction. It means teaching them this is good, this is bad, right? It's moral reasoning. And I really want to hear talk about you know um, our modern culture as modern people, right, we feel really uncomfortable doing this because we don't like making value judgments. We don't like saying something in a very strong way, this is right and this is wrong. But this is the way uh, the Bible talks about uh, what parents are supposed to do. And let me give you an example, right? So let's talk about sex. Um, I was reading an article that uh, most modern parents are very uncomfortable talking to their children about sex for several reasons. Uh, the first is that um, we feel like sex is something that um, is sort of inappropriate for children to know about, and therefore they can kind of discover it in their later age. And to the extent that parents do talk about sex, so they've done studies about this, half of all modern parents never talk to their children about sex, ever. The other half, the majority, the, the extent of the instruction about sex is be safe. Right? Be safe. So what does that mean? Basically, don't get AIDS and don't get somebody pregnant or be pregnant, right? And essentially what we're doing is we're leaving the children to figure it out on their own from their classmates and from the culture. Um, and essentially, our culture is constantly providing moral instruction. Our culture is extremely powerful, right? Because you see it in TV, in, in, in advertisements. It's constantly telling us something about sex. And so we have to provide biblical instruction, which is very counterintuitive. And so if I could just share my own story, what I did with Judah is before he entered kindergarten, when he was only five years old, I got a book on uh, talking to children about sex, and I read it through to him. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that you have to talk to your children about sex at age five. Um, Maybe I'm a little extreme. I actually don't think I'm that extreme. Um, But at some point in your life, you have to talk to them, and not just once repeatedly, right? And the way I talked to Judah about it is I didn't just give him prohibitions. I didn't just say bad, you know, stay away. I gave him a positive vision of what sex is supposed to be. I told him it's this beautiful thing that God gave a husband and a wife to connect and to be bound together, to be united together. And if you use it in any other context, you're abusing sex. You're using it the wrong way. And that displeases God, and it ultimately harms you. And I also told him that uh, sexuality is a private affair. It's, it's, it's an intimate, private thing for the husband and the wife, not for anyone else to participate in, and not for anyone else to look into. And therefore, if anyone offers you pictures of sex, 
pictures of naked women, um, pornography, you're to decline, right? You're supposed to say, you know, no thank you. My dad already gave me, I, I, my dad already gave me an explanation. I don't need to see it. And I think it's really important that we do that because the, uh, right now, um, the average age in which children are exposed to pornography has plummeted. So it's now the average age is third grade. And children discover <coughs> pornography usually through their classmates when their classmates bring a device to school and say, hey, look at this. Look what I discovered. And we know from studies that there's detrimental effects on young people when they are exposed to pornography. Um, it, it has uh, cognitive effects. It shapes their worldview. It, it, it teaches them to objectify women. It coarsens their understanding of sex. So as parents, we are responsible. Right? That's what it means to provide instruction to talk to our children about sex, um, moral instruction. Let me just give you two more quick examples. Um, what I talk to Judah and Noah about all the time is the purpose and value of money, which is you're not supposed to hoard money. I, t I tell them about the evil of greed. I tell them that they have an obligation to be generous to the poor. Um, I've had many talks with Judah and Noah about finding a good wife, um, which is I, t I tell them don't look at outward beauty but look at inner character. Um, it's important to find somebody who's kind, who is generous, who loves God. That's what's most important. Um, and I also tell Judah and Noah that it's okay to not be married. The Bible celebrates and, and, and um, honors that option too. So you're basically constantly telling your children the opposite of the American dream. Right? The American dream is marry you know, somebody who's attractive, who's aspirational, and you can climb up, and you have to constantly teach them a different value. Finally, last point, um, it says we're supposed to give children discipline and instruction of the Lord. So what does that mean? It means that we are responsible for providing spiritual instruction to our children. We are to teach our children the gospel. We are to teach them the doctrines of the Christian faith. And uh, maybe some of you feel um, intimidated or... Um, uh, inadequate doing that. And so you know what that means? It's a wonderful opportunity as parents to learn about the Christian faith. right? You can only teach what you know, and you can probably only teach like 20% of what you know. right? So you have to, uh, as parents, it, it encourages you to really read and understand the Bible. Because I feel like a lot of times we can explain things, but we're, we use the crutch of vocabulary, of high vocabulary. But in order to explain things at a simple level to a child, it requires actually deep knowledge, <laughs> right? Because you have to strip it down to its bare essentials without using fancy vocabulary. So it really humbles you and forces you to understand who Christ is, what is the gospel. Um, it means reading the Bible to your children. It means praying with your children. It means being a godly example to your children. And let me emphasize here that According to the Bible, this is the highest priority as a parent. Your highest priority is not to make sure that they get soccer lessons and piano lessons and they have a nutritious meal, but ultimately to pass down your faith, to teach them the fear of the Lord. Um, and so you have to make room for it in your life, in your family, right? Um, a lot of times we're so busy, we don't have time to do anything. And I don't want to oppress you with you know legalistic requirements. Um, Judah, uh, Christina, and I, we don't always read the Bible or pray with our children every single day. There are some days where it just doesn't happen, but we're constantly trying to find time, constantly providing instructions. So 
that's my talk. Any quick questions? All right, I yield the floor to Becky. Okay, so first I want to put out a big disclaimer that what I'm about to share is just my personal experiences um, and then things that I've learned from really wonderful, wise, like older brothers and sisters that I've met throughout my life, especially in New York. We had, I had really wonderful relationships with a lot of um, elders who are like, you know, 15, 20 years older than me. Their kids are in college now. Um, my previous children's education director at the church that I went to, really wonderful husband and wife. Um, she's since passed away, but just, just, she would ask me questions, and I'm like, Sharon, that's a really good question. Let me think about that. So this is all just things that I've learned that I'm sharing. You can take it and leave it as you want to. It's not like this is the way to be a good Christian parent. It's just basically some things to think about. So first of all, I just kind of want to separate it into like three sections. One is Christian discipline, okay, and then instruction, and then what do we do? go from there? So discipline, when your kids are little, it's a lot of discipline, right? And a lot of physical care. And when they're infants, you're like, you're not going to be talking to your baby. Like, when you grow up, I want you to, you know, love the Lord. I mean, you can talk to them, but they're not, they're not going to learn. It's a lot of more, like, discipline, caring for their physical needs in the beginning. And then, whoosh, it gets the hard work starts, right, with instruction. And a lot of the things that I've, I'm going to share is not only from what people have shared with me, but... I read this book. There's another book, Shepherding a Child's Heart um, by Paul Tripp. There is also a book. It's on my Kindle. I haven't finished reading it, but I, I'll, be, I'll email the resource. It's about how to answer the tough questions from a Christian perspective, like about war, about you know suffering, about those kind of things from a Christian parent perspective of how to explain those things to your child. So um, so Christian discipline. So for for me, for us, I've taken always the the line with Christian and Ryan that I am here on this earth. God has given them to me, and my role is to shepherd them. It's I sure I provide for their physical needs and make sure they, you know, do their homework and eat and exercise, but my role is to shepherd them. I tell them that. I say, why do you think God has given you to me? He could have given you to anyone. What's the role of a parent? Is the parent just to buy you stuff and to provide for you? And I say, no, my job is to teach you, guide you, shepherd you. That's why you need to be obedient to, to, to mom and dad because God has, us, God has given us that authority over you. And that's the reason why. Um, so I always tell Krishna and Ryan that all the time so they don't forget that my role is to, to shepherd them and to guide them and teach them. So when we talk about discipline, straight off the bat, I tell them, Nothing that we ever say to you is out of pure meanness. I was like, I'm not giving you a timeout. I'm not taking away the iPad just because I want to be mean and say, ha, I have control. I'm going to be mean. It's never that. And so I always make sure that they understand why I'm disciplining them. I was like, look, if I did not love you, I would leave you alone. I would let you do whatever you want. I let you eat as much candy as you want, hit your brother all you want. But I don't because I love you. And because I want to teach you, right? And so discipline is a form of love. And so you need to understand that, that nothing comes out of meanness. Discipline comes out of love. And so therefore, whatever I say afterwards, 
they're more prepared to listen to what I have to say and accept what the punishment is going to have to be, the discipline, right? So it's not like, so mean, I can't watch TV for an hour or whatever. They understand, oh, I understand why I cannot do that. So I, so I always frame my discipline around those things. Um, and for discipline, it's always about, I think modern parents and parents in general always want to focus on the behavior, right? We want our kids to be like this beautifully behaved, angelic children who never has a meltdown in the grocery store, who always says yes and thank you and please and, and are so well behaved that everyone else is like, oh my God, your children are angels, right? That's what, we always kind of want the outside behavior. But the Bible says all behavior comes from the heart. So anything that your child is doing essentially stems from a heart issue. So then you don't, our job as parents um, is not to address the behavior, but to address the heart. So we have to say, okay, well, you didn't want to share your toy with Ryan. How come? What's going on here? Let's, let's talk about this. What's going on in your heart? You say you love your brother, but you don't want him to play with any of your things? You know, let's go, what's, what's happening? Are, are you showing love when you do that? Are you, you know, and sometimes it's concern. He's like, well, he's going to destroy everything. I say, okay, well, there's a way of talking to your brother, of sharing. Let's, and so I always make sure that when we talk about it, we talk about, like, what's going on in their heart. A lot of times it's just pure selfishness, right? Right? A lot of times it's just like, I want it for myself, but I don't want anyone else to help it. have it. So we always talk about what's going on in your heart to address that issue. And then I always talk to Christian and Ryan about what's the alternative. Because if you just leave it at that and then provide discipline, your child will be frustrated. They'll be like, God. Because they don't know what, how else to respond, right? Christian and Ryan, they're going to respond the way they always do because they don't know anything else. It's always going to be screaming. Stop it. Get it back, right? It's always going to be that. Always. But if I say, okay, what's going on here? Let's talk about, okay, how about next time when this happens? And I always make sure I address both child, not just the offender, right? Because it's not just one person. And I say, well, Christian, how about next time? Let's think about, like, another way to talk to your brother or another way is saying, how about, like, say, Ryan, I'm playing with this right now, but when I'm done, you know, in, like, five, ten minutes, I'll let you play with it, right? And, like, then with Ryan, I always say, Ryan, you just snatched her. You just took it. You didn't have any consideration for, for your brother. How about next time you ask him before you snatch or you talk to him and say, Christian, I really would like to play with that with you. You know, can I, um, when you're finished, can I play with it for a few minutes? I mean, you have to always, I always try to provide them with, like, an alternative way to say something or an alternative way to act because if you just leave it to them they won't know anything else they'll just revert back to what comes natural to them which is yelling and hitting um i also do that when they don't know what to do because sometimes you know parenting styles are different right they might say oh dad gene was you know they'll say apple was too harsh you know or something or they say oh my teacher didn't understand she just keeps picking on me or, or that, or my friend at school just never lets me, whatever. Whatever it may be, I always say, well, how about next time you let them finish and say, I understand what you're trying to say to me, but please, this is what's happening. This is how I feel. Can you, you know, help them, help the other person understand what you're going through and what you're feeling. So I always give alternatives to whatever the solution is, right, or whatever they're doing. Um, so the other thing we talk about is, what I recommend and what I've read in the books is the whole counting to three. Like, you know, you hear parents. I hear them. All. I was on a Disney cruise, and I hear parents all cry. Let me count to three. 
David, get here. Three, two, one. You hear that all the time. Well, what does that teach? That teaches our kids to obey at the very last minute when like, the threat is so high. It doesn't teach them to obey right away. And God says discipline, obedience should be right away. Not when God's like counting to three or not when God has given us three chances, then I'm going to go kill obey. God says obey right away, right? And we have to teach that to our kids. And God also says that we need to obey joyfully, right? God doesn't want us to be like, fine, whatever. I'll do it because you're God, but I don't care. I'm not happy about it, right? Because that is not that is not true obedience. That is still a rebellious heart who is rebelling against God when we obey begrudgingly. And so we need to teach our kids that. We need to teach our kids that when we want them to obey for their own good, they need to obey the first time I say it, and they need to do it joyfully. No, and, but they can only do that if they understand why. Okay, And one of the reasons for that is for their own safety. When you're little... When your kids are little and they're running across the street and you say, stop, because they're coming to the sidewalk, right? And, like, the street is there. Stop. Okay, on count of three. No, you want them to stop right away before they get to the end of the street. They need to learn when you say stop, when you say come here, they're like, okay, I'm coming. I'm stopping. I'm freezing. Whatever it is, you need to get your kids to know that when I say something, it means do it right now, right? For their own safety, for lots of reasons, right? Um. And then I always say and joyfully, and I always try to, I'm like, okay, well, obedience to, to omanapa means right away, and it means you do it joyfully because you have to understand where it's coming from. You have to understand, again, and I remind them, it's because I love you. I don't do anything out of meanness, and this is what God has said, okay? God has said it's better to be wise. You know, we go through those things. So those are kind of the discipline, and that's in the beginning, a lot. But then as they get older, it's less. Then it becomes instruction. Christians in third grade. The fact that you said third graders starts, is like, might be exposed to pornography the first time in third grade. I'm like, oh my God. That just struck like, like a dagger into my heart because Christians in third grade. Um, so instruction is most of, of our talk in the car at home is instruction. And that can only come from you know, is you know, uh, Christians in public school. So he's like, well, my friend Andre said there's no God. You know, he's like, so we have to talk about that. You know, he said, oh, at the play yard, at the play yard today, and like he's he's like, oh, my friend says that if we shouldn't, you shouldn't be a snitch. Don't tell on your friends, or your friends won't like you anymore. These are conversations. Like this is all par- then part of instruction. What do you say? How do you teach them in a way that will guide them through the rest of their, you know. Um, what about money and all of those things? So instruction happens all the time. One thing I want to do want to talk about is money. Um, so if people have asked me all the time, like, what's the thought about money and tithing and allowances? You give your child allowance. Like, recently I've been getting asked that a lot. Do I give my kids allowances? The answer is no. I don't give my kids. <laughs> this is take it or leave it. You, whatever you want to do is up to you. But for me, I don't give my kids allowances because I'm like, you are a member of this family. Doing the dishes is your job as a member of this family. You shouldn't do it for a dollar. Now, if you would like to earn some money to get something, then I can we can think of extra special jobs, you know, outside of helping in the household. Um, you know, if you're going to detail my car, sure, I'll pay you extra money for that. <laughs> but 
Um, you know, and Christian has done that. He's like, okay, I'll, I'll detail your car. But but we want to instill the spirit that, like, no one is too young. So I even, like, with Ryan, who's five and he's the baby, I say, no one is too young to be a, a helping member of this family. We take care of each other. At five, there are limits in terms of how you can take care of, of me. I'll probably do more of the caring for you, but there's ways that you can take care of me. There's a way you can take care of your brother. Right, we need to learn to take care for each other, and like, there's things you do, and that you just have to do as a member of family. There's no allowance. Um, the other thing, and this might be touchy, and this I learned. I just want to throw out there as a question: is the idea of like, oh, and sorry, going back to um, money, and then also like your kids if they get money. This is what we do in just terms of teaching stewardship. Is like they get lots of birthday money, the Christmas money. We just say automatic ten percent. You you tithe. And so that instills a habit of, of tithing from the very young age. So whenever they get Christmas money or birthday money, they know automatically 10% tithe to church, and they give it back to God. Um, and it's, so we do that. And then we say, well, you need to learn to save. So half of, half of whatever you get, you put it in your savings account. And then the 40% is you do what you will. So let's talk about how you will use that 40%. And we talk about, like, you're going to spend it all now? You want to save it for something bigger? Do you want to donate that to maybe somebody else? Let's talk about how you want to use that 40%. You can save it, use it, think, let's talk about it. And so that's what we do every time they get money from somebody, is we have these conversations. And so they know automatically, Christian has done the math. He knows automatically how much goes to church, how much goes in the bank, and he's already thinking about how to spend that 40%. But it's a conversation we have. Um, and that's up to you. You can decide what you want to do. But that's kind of what we do. Um, the other thing is that this was something that previous children's director has asked me. She was like, this was when Christian was an infant. She said, what are you going to tell him about Santa Claus? And what are you going to tell him about the Easter Bunny? And I was like, that's a good question, Sharon. I don't know. I didn't even think that far. He's just, you know, a baby. She's like, okay, well, you know, you can tell him about Santa Claus and be fun. And then he'll find out that you're lying. You can tell him about the Easter Bunny and the Tooth Fairy, and then he'll find out that was a lie, too. They don't exist. Then you, this whole time you're going to be telling him about Jesus. Well, he's never going to see Jesus or hear Jesus in flesh and blood, right? And so then he might question, is Jesus real? Because Oma told me about Santa Claus. That was, she told me about the elf on the shelf, and that's not real told me about the tooth fairy and about the Easter bunny, and those are real, not real either. Those are all lies. So four out of the five people were a lie. How am I supposed to believe that Jesus is real? So I was like, Sharon, that's a really good question. So that I'm just throwing it out there as a thought for you guys. So with Christian and Ryan, we tell them straight up, as soon as they were able to, we don't even talk about Santa, but when he asked, when Christian was little and he asked, is Santa real? I said, Nicholas was a person who lived a long time ago, and he did provide gifts and stuff, but Santa is not a real person. Um, and I was like, but there are some kids out there, and so you don't want to, like, ruin it, like, or tell people unless they ask you. If, if another kid asks you, you can tell them what you believe, but we believe that Santa Claus is not real. Um, but, so we have these conversations, but that's the reason why, for us, we don't talk about, they know that when the tooth falls out, they're like, you're going to put money under my pillow, right? I'm like, yes. Um, <laughs> so they don't care who puts the money under the pillow. They just want money under the pillow, right? Um, 
So we have these conversations, and I think it's just something I want to share with you because it was something that when was asked to me, I was it made me really think about all the things that we talk about with our 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 kids, things that are just part of our modern day American culture. But you know, how is it? What is it teaching our kids? What is it really doing? Because we might be setting up counterfeit gods and idols for our kids unknowingly, right? So. Um, so these are all things to think about. Um, so when it comes to instruction, um, I kind of try to do, we try to do instruction everywhere. So like even on the Disney cruise, we just came, we went to the Disney cruise and we were in St. Martin and St. and the British Virgin Islands. And so we did an island tour. And as we were walk, driving on the bus, I was just like, Christian, let's, let's look outside. Let's see how other people live. You know, and we drove by several elementary schools, primary schools, and I was like, look, Christian, look at the schoolyards of this school and what the kids have in in other parts of the country. We did that when we went to Belize, and Christian was like little, much like three years ago. We went to Belize, and I was like, Christian, look. And we just happened, our bus happened to go by like a house that had a little boy in the yard playing. And I was like, Christian, look, that little boy's playing, but he's playing with a stick. Look at his clothes. I was like, Kids around the world don't live in nice apartments. They don't have cars. They don't have a room full of toys like you do. Kids around the world live differently. And so uh, I just wanted to point that out to him and show him that not everyone is like him. I think it's it's really easy for kids who live in isolated communities like we do, right? We shelter our kids. We, we protect them as much as we can. Um, you know, it's easy for them to think that every other kid is like them and that every other kid then has what they have. Or sometimes they think have more than they, they have because they'll go to their friend's house and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, Sam has all of the Power Rangers. I only have one. So, some, so it's easy for the kids to think that. So when we go out anywhere, we try to have these conversations about the differences in culture and people and living conditions and what can we do, you know. And Christian promptly after that started praying for kids, you know. And asking God, like, let them have enough food, you know, to live, clothes. So those are things that we talk about. Um, Also with our kids, we try really hard to to make sure that address their emotional health, especially when we're talking about discipline um, and instruction. You know, like Michael says, sometimes your kids are going to be angry. You can't say, don't be mad. Don't get angry with your brother. I say, I understand that you're angry, but let's talk about, like, where is that anger coming from? Because we know from God there's righteous anger and there's anger that's just not. So we talk about all those things. So I don't dis- dismiss their feelings at all. I don't say, you don't have, no, you cannot be mad. No, don't do that. I just, I would, I try to say, I understand you're sad. I understand you're frustrated. Let's talk about why. Let's talk about what we can do differently. What can we say differently in the future so that, you might be less frustrated in the future or less upset, and this won't happen again. Um, so th- these are things that, again, we try to do. It's hard because when you're running out the door, it's like you got to go to school. You don't have – because this kind of discipline, this kind of instruction is not two minutes. It is much easier just to be like, sit down, time out, give me that, you're going to your room, whatever. It's much easier and quicker to do that. This kind of Christian discipline and instruction – Sometimes it means sitting down 20 minutes and talking to your kids about 
what's going on and teaching them about what God wants them to do. It takes a long time, and it's not easy to do it every time. But it's something that we try to strive for. Um, we don't do it all the t- well. I don't do it well all the time. I don't discipline joyfully and teach them joyfully and always point them, you know, in the right direction. Always, but it's something that I do strive for. But as Michael said, this only comes from the fact that I can only do it if if I'm rooted in Christ. If I know the Word of God, then I can then share. So preparing for this and reading it reminded me, like Michael and I talked about this book which is a great book, but it's really very devotional. And I was thinking about why that is, and it's because as parents, we need to be instructed in, in God and his ways. And that's why this book is so, is like, it's all devotional for parents. It's like scripture, and he, and then he explains it, and it's very much like, you're like looking for like the practical, I was looking for like the practical how-to to share, but then I realized in the end, the practical how-to is, for parents to be grounded in the, in the Word of God. Once we are grounded in the Word of God, then instruction comes, right? And so that's what I realized as I was preparing for this and reading all of this again. I was like, I need to be more grounded um, and have my devotional and have my private time and, and do that personally as well as together as a family because otherwise it's like the blind leading the blind. So, um, so that's in the end kind of like what I wanted to share with you guys, whether – how you teach your kids to tithe, um, what you do with money, how you teach them about, you know, discipline is going to be different. Like, we discipline Christian completely different from Ryan. Those are two different beings. You know, Christian, this worked. And he was like, you got my attention. Ryan's like, yeah, what? What else you got? You know? (laughs) And I'm like, let me figure this out. Because that little spanking is not going to work for you. And I had to figure it out with Ryan, right? Um, Christian is the typical firstborn. You punish him, he is like, he's got, he's like the 50 lash, he's like the monk, he's like lashing himself all day. I'm a terrible person, I can't believe I did that. He puts himself in timeout. One time I found out Christian put himself in timeout, he had a sign, he says, I put myself in timeout, I'm a terrible person, don't talk to me. And I was like, whoa, you know, they're completely different. And I had to, then for Christian, for Christian I always have to show him the grace for him, grace of God is very small in his life because he overly punishes himself. And so then for Christian, I have to constantly be like, you can't forgive yourself? God forgave you. You think you're better than God? Let's think about what Jesus did. You know, nobody's perfect. This is not the first time you messed up. This is not going to be the last time you messed up. Let's talk about what God has done for you. Let's like, and I, for Christian, I have to constantly point out Jesus and what God has done and what Jesus has done because for him, it's all about self-punishment. For Ryan, Ryan is like, he's like, oh, I'm going to be cute. I'm going to give you a hug and kiss and say, I love you, mom. And I'm like, stop being cute. I'm talking to you about something <laughs> serious. So it's completely different. You know, for him, I provide much more, like, rigid structure. Because for him, he's like, I'm always forgiven. <laughs> so it's the opposite. But I have to figure it out. And we figure it out, we, and we do that. Um so, but but in the end, it's really about us. And I want to share this with you because when I became a director for children's ministry, you'll be surprised by the number of parents who say, whew, good, now you can teach our kids about God. I'm like, me? It's not my job. Church, your kids are here 45 minutes. There's 45 minutes in the entire week. 
I can help supplement, but teaching about God, knowing about God, knowing what to do in situations, knowing the love of God, that's your job. I got 45 minutes. You have them the rest of the week, you know? So, um, so that's just something that I, I just wanted to also share with you guys is that, you know, church for kids and for us, right, even as adults, the sermon is 20, 30, if he gets really riled up by the Holy Spirit, maybe 35 minutes, right? That's 30, 45 minutes of our life one day a week. That's not enough spiritual food for us, even as adults, right? We need to supplement every day. And that's the same thing with our kids. So don't, you know, when you guys have kids, for those who have kids, you know, church is a great way to supplement what's already happening at home. So I just want to share that with you guys. So any questions? You can comment. You can criticize. I'm good because, you know, everyone has a different way of parenting. So, but that's kind of what we try to do at home. And I just wanted to share that with you. Yeah. Oh, God. <laughs> um, first of all, I think it's really great that you're talking about outward conformity, not inward conformity. It's certainly it's cheap to just go to outward conformity. Um, but uh, I feel like, and I'm glad you also provided gospel content for us parents, because it feels like sometimes it's all blurred and we need to do more. Um, you know, right now, at this stage in your life, you are largely a stay-at-home mom. Um, can you be, but then before, you used to be a full-time working oh, yeah. mom, right? Yeah. So can you talk about like how do you do parenting? Because it seems sort of time-intensive when both parents have full-time, intensive careers. You know? Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Definitely now in the last year as a stay-at-home mom, I'm like thankful that God has given us this opportunity for me to do that in a time when Christian is really learning in exponentially quick way things about the world. Um, through his friends, through the internet, through everything. And so we can have these conversations about, like, you know, telling the truth, about snitching on your friend and what that means and all these things. So I have the luxury now of of that. But, yeah, when I was in New York, I was away from them 10 hours a day. I would come home. I had two hours to feed them, bathe them, do homework with them, and, and then before they went to bed, and then anything else, like, whatever talk about the day um yeah so it would be really hard in those times when basically you you have to like decide like what's more important and then times there'll be times when I'm like well yeah so let's let's have a late bedtime because we need to talk about what's happening and so whenever I possible I try to still have those really long those conversations with them and if it means they go to bed later and they don't observe that 8 o'clock bedtime, you know, that's fine. Um, I have given them time out in restaurants. I have taken, <laughs> I have talked to them, it, it, yesterday I talked to them in the middle of Whole Foods in, that, um, in the frozen food aisle. Um, yeah, for me, I don't, they're like embarrassed that I have to talk to them in public, but I'm just like, we have to do it, you know. Um, if possible, then if it's the time's not convenient in the car, we'll say, we will have, just, I want you to know, you and I, we're going to have this conversation when we get home. When we get in the car, we're going to finish this conversation, and we're going to talk about this, um, if, if it's not, a, like, an opportune time. But, yeah, I try as much as I can, even with the two hours that I ha- had, if something came up, because that was the most important thing, because I, I 
If I tell them, I'm disciplining you because I love you and I want you to understand the ways of God, to be wise and not to be foolish, but then if I let go on something just because I don't have the time or if I'm too tired, that makes me a hypocrite, right? Because it, it, because it means that my words say one thing and my actions say another thing. And I wanted to always try as best as I could not to do that for my kids, to let them know, I'm not going to promise you something because I want to be a promise keeper. So unless I know for sure, I'm not going to be like, oh, yeah, let's definitely do that. I'm going to give you less, you know, um, so I'm not going to promise things straight up. Cause, and then I also make sure that I, like, kind of follow through. But I also apologize to them. If I do something wrong, if I am really tired and I was stuck on that stupid E-train for an hour and 20 minutes, you know, and I come home and I've just had it and I'm overly, like, harsh, I, will, I have apologized to Krishna and said, I apologize for my anger and for the fact that I was too harsh in my tone in speaking to you, I do not apologize for disciplining you because that's a separate issue. <clears throat> discipline is discipline. You still did something incorrect, and I needed to correct you and teach you. However, the way I did it was perhaps <coughs> not as loving as it should have been. It was too hard, and for that I apologize. And so we've had that, a lot of those, a lot more of those in New York than I've had here. A lot more of like, I apologize for the tone, you know, and that I was maybe too harsh in speaking to you. But let's talk about, so I apologize for that. And and that, I want you to know that I'm not perfect either. I'm going to mess up and I will continue to mess up. But I want you to know, let's talk about then what's going on. So we, so that happens. Can you some time? Sure. Dear Father, we just thank you so much for this um, time for us to like share um, what we've learned and what we've gone through and the mistakes that we've made. And I just pray for um, the brothers and sisters of IGC as they, some are parents, some are preparing to be parents, some are hope to be parents, some are new parents. And I just pray, God, this is not an easy road. Um, this is that you have given us authority, but you also give us the way. You have taught us. You provide um, guidance in the Bible, I mean, you provide us a community here at IGC that we're not parents alone. We are parents in a community of other Christian brothers and sisters that we can rely and support and pray for each other. Um, we can um, do all those things. So we, we thank you for this community. We thank you for um, the, the that you have given us your word in the Bible. And we just pray as we go out, even as adults, that you will help us to find um, joy and obedience and trusting and obeying you. And we pray all, all these things in your son Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.